Welcome, listeners, to A Night of Shreds and Patches, an immersive actual play podcast. This episode features the talents of... Penn Van Batavia as... Marathon Messenger. Kit Adamas as... Birdie Foundling. Cameron Robertson as... Emma Blackwood. Sydney Whittington as... Cassidy Shard. Nick Robertson as GM and narrator. Hello, listeners. This is your editor, Sydney, with today's messages. Thanks for joining us today for another episode. You deserve the feeling of being by a cozy fireplace with snow flurries outside, reading your favorite book with a warm, friendly animal keeping your toes nice and toasty. Of course, it's still the middle of summer in the Northern Hemisphere and we're mostly melting, but you deserve comfort and contentment anyway. And if you're considering My Flight of Fancy, you may also consider backing our Patreon, which gives you access to bonus episodes, campfire conversations, and other fun rewards. And with that, we wrap up today's announcements and head into Season 2, Episode 33, Warrior Women Who Have Come to Our Rescue. And so, join us, for now our tale to yours attaches, to carry hope, a night of shreds and patches. The center of the road through the ravine is dominated by a small tank that is spewing smoke, filling the area and the woods nearby. The tops of the ravine are covered in shrapnel from exploded trees from a recently detonated shrapnel bomb. There are bodies in the woods as well as the retreating figures of bandits who have decided they bit off more than they can chew. We see Cassidy watching as the most recent combatants gather around this damaged tank. Emma, Birdie, and Marathon are back down in the ravine after the combat that has just resolved and pushing her way out of the tank with another belch of smoke is a broad-shouldered woman with a blonde mohawk, multiple piercings, and a snake tattoo winding up one arm into her rolled-up sleeves and behind one ear. She immediately looks around to see the status of this mercenary company and her eyes are 
on the members of the Patna that she can see. She says, well, it uh, sounds like the, the fight's over. Everything seems to be going good over here. Felix, where are you at? Felix. And the greasy man that Marathon was next to during this firefight stands up from where he was crouched towards the end of the fight. And he calls back, everyone's accounted for. Kelsey, it's, what is this, like the third ambush this week? We have got to get off the roads. And Kelsey... The woman in the tank shakes her head. She is holding a very large wrench in one hand and looks like welding goggles in the other hand. And she says, we both know the tank's not going to be able to sustain much off-road at this point, especially with the most recent damage. We're just going to have to be targets, I guess. And we can talk more tactics later. Who are you? I'm imagining that some of those explosions I was hearing as I was frantically attempting to get the main gun working again would have been you. She visibly and performatively counts Emma and Birdie and Marathon with a finger. Three, you three warrior women who have come to our our rescue. The Patna make awkward eye contact with one another. Made even more awkward by the fact that Emma is still in the exosuit, so no one can actually see her eyes. Birdie, as she's still supporting the woman she helped, will raise her hand first and go, Guilty. We're four, though, um, whenever our fourth decides to come down from her perch. Understandable. You know, you walk into a gunfight and you're never entirely sure who's on the right of it, uh... I find that I'm often unsure myself, even when I'm not wandering into somebody else's fight. Keep us covered as long as you feel comfortable. We're a a little busy to attempt any further combat, I believe. And the woman that you're supporting, Birdie, she has a hand pressed into where the gunshot wound that you bandaged was over her jumpsuit. And she calls up to Kelsey Well, it looks like we're mostly fine, at least. How long until you can get that fixed? We should get off the road. And Kelsey shakes her head and says, Not mostly fine. Um, Mikey didn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, Whatever explosive they had in the road went right up under the driver's seat. Felix, if you could help me get him out of here, please, now that we're not under fire, and take care of that while we get the armor fixed, that'd be great. And Felix nods matter-of-factly and begins to climb up onto the tank. The armor is hot enough from whatever is causing the smoke and from the absorbed gunfire and explosion that you can hear a slight sizzle whenever his hands touch down on it. And he ends up wrapping a bit of his shirt around his hands to keep from burning himself. And he disappears down into the smoky interior of the tank. And you all can see additional people starting to gather around the tank from where they were scattered during this gunfight. And Kelsey says, well, uh, so Felix has spoken for on that one. Unfortunately, Mikey was the other one who knew how this hunk of junk worked. You hear a clang as she kicks something down below where she's standing. Any of you, uh, know anything about fixing stuff? We, uh, We're low on ammunition, but we're currently doing all right on funds and happy to pay for your time. Birdie will glance at Emma, but let her introduce herself in her own time, depending on how she wants to work for these new mercenaries. As soon as it becomes clear that they don't know how their tank works, the exosuit, you can tell that Emma is cocking her head to the side, even though there is no visual difference from the outside. So I guess she like pops a hip to tell. But then she'll pop on a private channel to Cassidy with the HUD still down. So only Cassidy hears her. It doesn't appear like they're going to attack us. So do you want to bring the rig around? Yep, I can grab it. Cool. You got everything under control? Uh, Yep, I'm just going to stay in the suit till you get here. Sounds good. But I'm going to go look at their gun. I'll be down there in a second. All righty. And then Eva closes that channel, jumps back over to the main one and is going to approach the tank and will crouch down next to it to wherever 
the internals of it are accessible from the outside and will pop the hood up at that point when she's kneeling down next to it. Kelsey watches you approach, sees Emma as you pop open the face mask of your armor. She shows no surprise at a relatively young woman being the one piloting your mechanized armor and takes the stub of a cigar out, holds it against some of the glowing hot armor of the tank until it begins to smoke and pops it into her teeth before taking a puff and holding it in two fingers. The welding goggles are now dangling from a pinky below the cigar, and she takes a long moment to blow out the smoke and says, All right, well, considering you went straight to where the tracks are blown all to hell, you at least know your way around. I can fix... A lot of this, but there's enough damage. If we want to get it rolling again, I accept any hands available. And Kelsey looks over to Birdie and Marathon. Felix is now climbing out of the tank, holding a body that has some smoke stains on the clothes and some blood. It appears to be a small guy wearing a helmet and a face mask and goggles and Felix dumps them over the side of the tank before hopping down and grabbing them and beginning to drag them off into the woods. As they go by, the other members of the Rust take off hats or helmets and hold them to their heart for just a second before putting them back on and moving around, collecting any scattered gear, ammunition, anything around the area, basically cleaning the site. Kelsey is looking at Marathon and Birdie and says... Well, you, uh, you two, if you don't know anything about mechanics, you can, uh, either walk the perimeter, I can pay you for that, you can see if any of these other people need any help, uh, thank you for getting our good lady Deathstalker there, she quirks a smile to Birdie, and you feel your patient straighten herself in, you can't tell if it's embarrassment or pride, and Kelsey says, you, uh, Got her patched up enough she's not going to kick the bucket on us, or does she need more medical supplies? Well, I dare say she shouldn't be running any marathons soon. And she will pause to snicker a little bit because she just made a pun accidentally. But I think she'll make it through the night. And she's going to grin and wink at Lady Deathstalker. The woman next to you blushes a little. It's, um... A nickname I picked up under combat, it's its a little embarrassing. You can, uh, you can call me Miranda if you want, but everyone calls me Deathstalker. If you could set me down on a rock or something, I'd appreciate being able to catch my breath if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. And she's going to help her while glancing over her shoulder back at Kelsey. Anyone else need medical attention? I can help with that. Kelsey shrugs, looks around takes another puff on her cigar, and then says, oh, doesn't look like it. Hey, if you're dead or dying, sound off. And there's a slight chuckle from the group, and nobody speaks up, so she shrugs again. Sounds like everybody's fine. Or if they're dead enough not to talk, we'll find them here in a minute. But she starts counting again. This looks to be about everybody, though. I'm sure... They'll come find you if they need anything. Deathstalker's usually the one who helps with that kind of stuff as far as bandaging, and she seems a little, uh, occupied. And Birdie, you look from Kelsey to Miranda, the Deathstalker, and Miranda is seated on a rock. She is up above where you are standing just a little bit, but seems to be desperately trying to look through her eyelashes at you and is fidgeting with her hands in her hair in equal measure. And as soon as you look back, she forces herself to sit still and look like she's analyzing the scene around for where she can help, even though she is not currently moving. Marathon turns to give her a thumbs up. As soon as Birdie isn't looking, Deathstalker flips you a double bird and a look of pure embarrassed hatred is on her face. Birdie didn't really pick up on... Miranda's change in demeanor. So she looks immediately back to Kelsey and will take half a step towards her. Are you doing all right? She gets a wolf-like grin on her face 
and flicks the cigar over the side of the tank to where it sputters out in the dirt. Oh, sweetie, I'm always doing just fine. Thank you for asking, though. In fact, I'm doing a lot better than this old girl is. And she slaps at the tank with a sizzle and a loud bang. (laughs) Just checking. Glad I could help. And she's gonna smile as sweetly as possible before going to check the perimeters, like she suggested. As Kelsey hits the tank, Emma comes out of her own little world where she was both looking at the actual mechanics of the tank, figuring out how it was put together, as well as looking concerned off into the woods where Felix dragged their dead friend, and then trying also not to laugh at how smooth Birdie was flirting and is going to put both hands on her knees in the exosuit and stand up and turn to Kelsey and say, just so nobody freaks out, our truck is about to be driving up in a second. As if on cue, the rig shows itself around the face of the ravine, coming to a stop at a visible but respectful distance. And Cassidy climbs down out of the cab, her rifle held across her shoulder, looking dangerous, (laughs) purposefully looking dangerous. Kelsey smiles in your direction. Cassidy smiles to Emma and says, and that's four. Wow, that's a quite a well put together company that you have, ma'am. I would be quite interested to hear more of the story. But for now, she leans over out of the hatch to be at a better angle to talk to you, Emma, and says, looks like we've got at least one shredded tread and the interface on the inside is completely borked as well as maybe something wrong with the drivetrain. I can do what I can on the inside, but if you could start working on the outside, like I said, we'd be happy to pay you for your time, but I sure would like to get out of this death canyon as soon as possible. Emma's nodding as she's talking. Her face goes really pale at the mention of all the internals being messed up. She has a flashback to the night's internals. But then hearing that she would be fixing the treads on the outside returns back to normal coloring and continues nodding. Yeah, I I can I should be able to get this attached back all up correctly and kneels back down still in the exosuit because it's heavy enough that it's probably going to be easier to lift the tread around still in the suit and we'll start dragging it around. Cassidy, this is the scene you find yourself in. Where do you place yourself? What are you hoping to do? Seeing that Emma and Bertie are both engaged in helping put the rust back together, either mechanically or biologically. Cassidy takes the opportunity to survey the crew, looking for like potential skill sets, general numbers, attitudes of the crew, like how are they behaving, having just been bailed out of what looked like a very scary fight, measuring are they friendly? Are they looking for any suspicious opportunities? Because Cassidy does not know any of the rust except for what Emma had said and is looking to draw some of her own conclusions. Yeah. So you take a look around this group. You probably are going to get the best look out of everyone so far, having set yourself back a little ways first. You see a woman with long, dark hair holding what looks like a gunshot wound seated on a big rock whose eyes do not seem to be able to leave Birdie, wherever Birdie is standing. You are not entirely sure if she is even breathing. She is maybe holding her breath, but that could also be blood loss. Hard to tell. She strikes you as somebody who probably is not a fighter as their main task, considering they are seated on a rock not doing anything a little hard beyond that to really tell what their specialization might be but your brain labels them civilian you see the leader who was talking to emma when you came in and from her posture and the way she is ordering people around it's clear she is the leader with her mohawk and tattoo around one arm. She seems to be somebody who can hold her own in a fight just from the way that she's built and the fact that she does not appear to have been shaken by the combat. And as you note that she ducks back down into the tank, wrench first, presumably continuing on repairs. 
You also see a shorter man who is about as wide as he is tall. He is wearing a leather jacket zipped up despite the warmth of the afternoon, has a buzz cut and a long frayed looking mustache that seems to stick out in every direction. He is walking towards a bend in this ravine with a purpose, like he's going to go get something that he's looking for. And he has his head on a swivel. He's looking in all directions, appears to be either scouting or is trying to retrieve something. It is hard to tell from this distance and based on what he's wearing, whether he is an extremely muscly person, if he tends more towards fat or if it's a mixture of both. Just a big dude. And you also see nestled in some rocks on the far side of the canyon, someone who has picked a lookout spot that you would have picked yourself. You, out of habit, Cassidy, often look for where the best vantage points would be. And this is probably one of the best ones that there could be. And you see a woman with dark hair that's bound back on her head holding a very plain looking rifle the rifle is pointed towards the sky not aimed at anyone but this is clearly a sharpshooter much like the role that you would fill in the company right now and you also see several paces behind the wide man another person wearing biker leathers following after the wide man heading in the same direction You would assume maybe they left some equipment that direction and they're going to get it now that the firefight is over. Armed with this knowledge, Cassidy walks towards Emma, making eye contact with any rust members on the way, but not volunteering any words. No one gets in your way. Everyone appears to be busy. There is a very familiar frantic energy of just after a fight where people are attempting to get as much done as possible before the adrenaline wears off and before anyone comes and finds this group. More and more from the way they're reacting to this, you get the impression that this is a very experienced combat group for sure. But nobody gets in your way. A couple of people make eye contact with you, especially the lady who is sitting on the rock with the gunshot wounds, and she's not really doing anything else right now. But no one tries to stop you. How's it looking, Emma? Well, this tank's broke. On that note, Emma, could you please make me a mechanics roll at hard difficulty? Have you fetched any tools from the rig, or are you just assessing at this point? At the moment, still just assessing and still in the combat suit. (laughs) So both sides of this tank have treads? Yes. Is the other side still intact? Yes. All right. So since I have the other side of the tank's treads fully functioning that I can compare this to, can I add a blue dye for my inventor talent? Because I can reconstruct it because I can see it. Sure. All right. So I am rolling three yellows, three purples, and a blue. Two successes, two triumphs, and two threats. Huh. Yeah, you're not going to necessarily need to use parts if that's something you want to spend a triumph on. So I would like to use a triumph that I don't need to add any additional parts and can just rehook it back up. Yeah, you're going to need to do some welding and moving of things around to get it to stick, but you are able to figure out a configuration for these treads that doesn't need additional material, which is really good because there's not a lot of material around right now. You could also repair it without lifting it because like that's one of the benefits of treads is like you could attach part of it and then roll it forward and then attach the next part because you can do that. Okay, Emma fixes the tread. Okay, you're able to put the tread back together and you're able to do it very, very quickly. It doesn't require any additional parts. It takes very little time and you're able to do it in the exosuit. You don't even have to climb out. All of that is very efficient. I think the threats are that Kelsey pops back out of the tank a few minutes later to see how you're doing. She is additionally streaked with sweat and smoke. The tank is no longer smoking, but there is not a lot of clean air inside of the tank. It has taken a pretty big hit, and it's going to take a while to clear out. But 
she notices how quickly you were able to do that repair and makes note of that. That is a good piece of information to have on people that you are interacting with, that somebody is able to make a field repair that quickly and efficiently. And she nods with respect to you, Emma, and says, oh, wow, you, uh, you put that together like it was nothing. Do you, um, do you need a job? I, I, we're, we currently have an opening. Emma is standing next to this tank at this point and does the hand clapping together to get dust off of them, which is a little metallic sounding as she's still in the exosuit and looks from her repair job up to where Kelsey's at the top of the tank and smiles and says, thanks, but I've got a job. More's the pity. She looks over back towards the woods. You can see that Felix is coming back by himself. He has taken care of Mikey's body. He appears to be coming back with all of Mikey's gear. He's carrying boots, the helmet, the goggles, the face covering, and a belt with pouches on it that appears to have tools. And Felix drops that over by the tank and nods to the members of the Patna and goes to walk towards a group of rocks where some of you may have just noticed there is a woman with a rifle keeping watch over the group. Kelsey looks to everybody and says, well, unfortunately, not all of us can be as gifted as apparently your uh, armored warrior over here is. It's going to be a little bit, if you all don't mind just making sure we don't get our asses shot off. I'd appreciate it. And she runs her hand through her mohawk, leaving some greasy streaks in it, but pushing the hair down closer to her skull and then diving back into the fray that is inside the tank. Emma looks over to Cassidy. Cassidy has a mostly hidden expression of annoyance of Emma being offered a job literally right there, but (laughs) takes a deep breath, clears it, and goes, well, all right, you fixed it. Seems good. Was it not that broken, or are you just a wizard? Um, I'm not a wizard. It it also wasn't that broken. All All of the pieces, at least, were still intact. They just were no longer together, so... That makes sense. Good work you explained something. Yeah, you must not be a wizard. Yeah, no, not at all. Pride myself on that, actually. So what's what's the situation? Are we helping them get out of here? I mean, I, I guess so. Is this a goodness of our hearts thing, and then we're going to leave them alone, or what's... Oh, I'm getting paid for the mechanics. Cool. Um, also, uh, they said that they'd been attacked multiple times by bandits recently. Oh. It does appear that somebody's after them. Yeah. So, just for awareness. Yeah. Pulling into Ambush Canyon... <laughs> knowing that there's still people that want a piece of them, maybe some foresight needed. But mm-hmm. as you're having that conversation, you can see Felix has fetched the woman with the rifle and brought her back towards the group. He is wearing a gray torn up shirt. He is practically dragging a shotgun behind him, carrying it so loosely and tiredly. Everything about him appears wrinkled and tired and greasy. And Cassidy, you get the impression that no matter how much sleep this man got or how well things were going, this is what he would look like and would be the energy he gives off. It is an exhaustion that emanates from his very soul. The woman that's approaching has a weathered yet perpetually determined look on her face. She's got very light wrinkling in her tan skin, dark long hair that's currently tied back with a green length of ribbon. Her dress is made of earth tones from shoulder to hemline on her skirt that's pulled up into her belt for proper movement in combat. She's got a thick brown belt on with a few necklaces and bracelets, all jewelry is silver, and she's oddly enough barefoot, despite being in a not very barefoot-friendly ravine, and is shouldering a rifle that doesn't have a fancy scope like Cassidy's. Felix and this rifle woman approach the group of the Patna. 
before we have that conversation, what has Marathon been up to? Marathon, realizing that the rest of the Patna was working hard on contributing to the situation, Marathon has decided that while her skills are not necessary to the aftermath of the situation, she can help create some goodwill between the two groups here and has been chatting with both of these folks in the biker leathers who have returned from a short trip for supplies. And we can see her light cream pants and her even lighter canvas button-up are covered in canyon dust still from her spill earlier. Yeah, the conversation that you're having is probably revolving around the two motorcycles with sidecars full of supplies that these two are rolling back to the groove. I think Marathon has joined in pushing those back. And as you get back to the group, you find yourself pulled into a conversation with Felix and a woman that you hadn't noticed before who is holding a very well-maintained but plain rifle. And these two are having a conversation with the Patna. The group is standing next to the tank. You can hear sporadic clanking and cursing from inside from Kelsey as she is working on presumably the controls and drivetrain that were messed up by the explosive. And Felix, seeing that the Patna is mostly together, says, So, uh... Obviously, you've been a big help so far. I would just like to extend the official gratitude of the Rust Mercenary Company and all of its surviving members. We've obviously had a tragic loss today that will take us a long time to recover from. But I'm I'm hoping that maybe you would be willing to drive with us until we can make camp, at least. Uh, just, you know, safety in numbers with all these bandits about how genuine does he seem? Cassidy didn't see the person get carried off, so... She saw him come back with stuff. It is really hard to tell with him what's genuine. It doesn't come off as sarcastic. He just comes off as tired and put upon. He does seem a little at least affected by the death of one of the crew, but he doesn't appear to be destroyed by grief. But it's hard to tell if that's just because it hasn't settled in yet, or he didn't know the guy very well, or he's just lost too many people for it to impact him as much. It's all kind of covered up by the fact that he just comes across as being too tired to be alive at all times. So there are a lot of bandits around here. Emma says this isn't the first time you've been attacked. It's kind of hard to estimate there. There's a lot of bandits in the area. They come and go. Most of them know who we are at this point. I couldn't tell you if it was the same people shooting at us from the trees or we just keep having the worst luck about finding new ones, honestly. It's kind of like fishing. Like, is it the same fish? Probably not, because you ate the last fish. But, like, it, it's hard to tell if it's an entirely new fish, you know? Cassidy looks skeptical. Oh, this is this is rude of me. Um, My name for anybody who I haven't introduced It's, it's Felix, right? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you're that you're that person who jumped in 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 the way of the bullets. You're the guy that that didn't shoot me. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm Felix. This is Juliana, our sharpshooter extraordinaire. She just tilts her head a little. Yep. Extremely personable and reliable, Juliana. Cassidy tilts her head back as she inspects the gear from a closer vantage point, seeing the well-maintained rifle and the bare feet. Has particular points of interest. Back there in the tank, cursing loud enough to wake the seven cities. That's Kelsey, our fearless leader, mechanic, and all-around badass. The big guy and the other one with a strong predilection towards leather wear. That's Jorb, is the big guy. Tenno is the one that is not as wide as he is tall. Uh, and they're, they're pretty cool. We were just talking. Oh yes, they're extremely cool. Everyone's a big fan of them, even though they don't talk a lot, or at least not lately. Um, Mikey is the pilot. Oh, you you won't be meeting Mikey. Uh, yeah. And then over there on the rock, uh, I think you've all heard her. She talks a lot. Actually, she's pretty quiet right now. This is kind of nice, uh, but she got shot, so I shouldn't say that. Uh, that's Deathstalker. She'll tell you to call her Miranda. Call her Deathstalker. That's 
it's a honorary title. Uh, she's our research expert. Is funny story. She basically paid us to help get her to a uh, wild tech site, and then just kind of stuck around. We've had her ever since. It's kind of funny. Uh, if she shouldn't you, I mean, if she prefers Miranda, shouldn't you call her Miranda? Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, she kind of goes back and forth, but yeah, if you want to be like respectful and kind, I guess you could do that. We should be respectful and kind. Right, Felix. Marathon gives a little wink. He gives the most apathetic shrug you have ever seen someone do. One and a half shoulders, and then he appears to give up shrugging halfway through and just lets his shoulders fall back down. And then there's another member of the Rust. We'll meet up with him later. Mr. Fitzgerald, he's a character. You'll enjoy him. Uh, anyway, I feel like I've been talking a heck of a lot. I do that. It's, it's the adrenaline, you know, when you get really energetic after a fight like I am right now. Um, so yeah, you interested in some mutual protection figure we'll get out of this Canyon, find somewhere covered to camp, recover, do some of the more intense repairs and figure out what we're doing from there. I mean, we're pretty good at protecting ourselves, aren't we team? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you guys are being hunted. That's a little different than idle bandits wandering past opportunistically if they're waiting for you in the canyon. Yeah, well, I doubt this particular group's going to turn around and try that again immediately. Well, no, because we were the ones that put a stop to it. Oh, we would have eventually. Might have lost yeah, a couple yeah. more people. Okay. So is that a no? I mean, we're pretty flush on cash having made this protection run recently. We figured we could pay you for something, but if it... We'll pay for the mechanics and you could be on. Well, if there's payment on the table. Cassidy gives a sideways head nod towards Marathon. All right. As long as it's not, you know, we're not just camp sleepovering together. If there's money. Yeah, then it's a business transaction, right? And he winks at Marathon. Exactly good, sir. Great. Well, I was going for the soft sell, but yeah, um, we hunted is a strong word, but we've had a pretty bad run of luck. I am pretty sure can't speak for our fearless leader, but Kelsey would probably be interested in uh, banding together for a little bit. What direction you headed, strangers? West, southwest. What a coincidence. So are we. We could travel together, maybe pay you for your time and fuel, maybe take a couple of jobs, split the money 50-50. You seem pretty capable. What outfit are you with? I don't know if I've seen that truck before or any of you, honestly. We're pretty common in this region. We're the Patna. You wouldn't hopefully have heard of us. Nope, never heard of you. What about you, Juliana? You heard of them? She'll shake her head, but she's still watching Cassidy. She just doesn't have anything to say yet. I mean, if y'all been around Triol, you might have heard of... Uh, uh, I don't know if my voice rings any bells for you, but... Um, yeah, I'm from Triol. I don't recall... Uh, you know, going <clears throat> going the distance um, radio show or, uh, uh, you know, Ice Derby. Uh, Y'all heard, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, of uh, Marathon Messenger. Uh, how long were you at that? At, at what? Either or. I mean, I, I've been a notable figure in a trial for over a decade, so. Oh, uh, well. <clears throat> no, that's all right. No, I, um, I'm... I'm Old hat for that, but uh, glad to know that the ass derby team's still doing well up there. Oh, thank, thank you. Um, uh, but uh, no, we we must be uh, um, doing a good job if you haven't heard of us, because that's uh, yeah. God damn. Felix has just been blinking slowly with his mouth hanging slightly open this whole time. He might have fallen asleep during this conversation. He's just very disinterested. And he looks over to Juliana. Well, uh, looks like I've negotiated at least the beginnings of a contract for mutual protection. No thanks to you. I'm busy giving people the hard eye for some reason, even though they just saved our lives. You don't need my help to talk. Oh, you're right. I'm, I'm quite good at talking. People find me quite uh, charming, charismatic, even. Very much so, Felix. Thank you very much. Yeah, very much so, Felix. Thank you very much. Very much so, Felix. Thank you very much. You're all very welcome. Was I being mocked there too? Or Well, I'm waiting I'm waiting for the armored lady and the the one with the, the weird stick to also thank me for my time as long as we're oh, Emma. doing this bit. Oh that that's all right. Emma, do you want me to do the thanks for you? 
Oh, yeah, yes, please, Cassidy. Thank you. Uh, Emma would like to convey a sense of gratitude and that your presence here is much appreciated. Felix registers the very thick sarcasm, nods in appreciation to the tone and atmosphere, and then looks around and notices that Birdie isn't by the group anymore. What is Birdie doing? Birdie was doing her perimeter checks and a little while ago got a little distracted by the people over checking on the motorcycles and has used the tank as a hiding spot to look at them from, as if she's not quite sure she wants to approach them, but is highly interested in them and is ducking around and getting up on her toes and trying to see from different angles as much as possible what they look like. She looks really silly right now. (laughs) So as you work to try to get an angle on this person, you can see that the very wide person is mostly just trying to look busy around the motorcycles, but not really doing much. And this other person is almost orbiting them, moving with nervous energy, actually checking fuel levels, making sure the bikes are ready to go. They're wearing leather pants, boots with thick metal buckles, a leather jacket with a double row of buttons that is mostly unbuttoned to reveal a very dirty white shirt underneath. And on their head, they have a wide-brimmed hat with one side pinned up on the side. It looks kind of piratey. And you can see sloppy, shortcut purple hair peeking out from under the hat. And as they turn to where you can get a good look at their face, they have very long, thin limbs. And then you see a very sharp nose, high cheekbones, a pointed chin. This person is someone that you recognize. As soon as Birdie realizes that this is who she thought they were, She straightens up and stops hiding and is just going to immediately walk over towards where they are by the bikes and wait to see if they turn to her first. But if they don't, she'll say, Hey, stranger. As Birdie and Tenno are starting to reunite, Jorb continues to ratchet on the same motorcycle nut over and over again, just observing listening, eavesdropping, very obviously eavesdropping, like staring directly at them as he's ratcheting. As Birdie walks up and speaks for the first time, that it would jump slightly from where they were working on the motorcycle and turns around pretty quickly and gasps, <gasps> baby bird, and goes and grabs Birdie in a tight hug, but not too crushing of a hug and spins her in a circle. Birdie is immediately hugging Tenno back, and as soon as she gets put down, she's looking them over, and she's like, God, you look no different. You haven't done anything different at all. I missed you so much. Yeah, when did you leave the other group? Oh, I don't know, like nine, nine months ago? And why would I change anything? I got it perfect. No, you do. I I didn't expect you. You said that you'd never been north of Quirk before, so what are you doing up here? Uh, going north of Quirk. First time for everything? Yeah, I decided it was too hot. You know what? It was, make, it was making my hair flat, and I was just, you know, <laughs> it was time for something new. Well, you're pulling it off. Absolutely, you're pulling it off. As usual. Oh, well, thank you. A pose is <laughs> struck. But, but what about you? What are you, what, you're, you're with this group now? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I told you, um, I was going up to Eagle Hill, Mm -hmm. and, you know, after Eagle Hill, I'd kind of managed to visit all the seven, which, you know, was kind of a a goal for me, and... Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Um, And I found them, and I sort of snuck into the back of their rig, and they just took me along with them. That does sound like you. (laughs) Yeah. That That is weirdly similar to how you joined us. I have a habit. It's, you know, it's it works for me, so... I mean, if it's working for you, then go for it, hon. <laughs> That's... I was, I was, I'm so excited to see you. I was not... Wait, I mean, This is not know. how I thought my day was going. <laughs> well, considering that you were possibly looking at a total 
group annihilation there. Glad we could come and help. Do you want to meet the rest of my team? Oh, yes. Take me to your new friends. <laughs> yes, you'll be able to judge them all you want. <laughs> uh, can I come too? I'm Jorb. Uh, baby bird, this this is this is Jorb. Um, Jorb Tunnels. Nice, nice to meet you. Tenno clasps their hands in front of them in prayer hands, holding them just underneath their chin. I was looking at Jorb. And Birdie probably knows them well enough to know that they're trying very hard to not make a face at Jorb, just in general, at his existence. If you want to follow Jorb, sure, go for it. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, your name is Birdie? Yeah, Birdie. <laughs> I get it, baby bird. Because <laughs> she's short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not shorter than me though. <laughs> Birdie has gone slightly red, trying really, really hard not to laugh or make a face or do anything. She's just smiling really hard right now. <laughs> I I you are. Tenna is my best shorter friend. Shorter than her. I'm I'm not calling you baby Jorb. <laughs> It just no. doesn't flow as well. No, it's all right. Uh, it's okay. It's so if D- Tenno and I are best friends, that means you're your friends by association. So <laughs> nice, uh, <laughs> baby bird. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, nice to meet you as well. I can't wait to make mm, more friends. <laughs> Neither could I. Tenno swings back around to look at Birdie with just a dazzling smile on their face. Yes, let's go meet these friends of yours. Yes, let's go do that. And they link arms. And skip away. Oh, here, wait, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. And one of the motorcycles falls over as Jorb stands up very quickly. So you head back to the rest of the group where they are having the conversation and as you get to clustering around the tank, the smoke has dissipated and with a diesel roar, the tank comes back to life and the turret pivots back and forth a little, showing that it is in motion again. Kelsey sticks her head out of the hatch and says, well, at least we got this thing running again. Uh... I would say that since you are all cozy friends now, I overheard a little bit of the conversation, but mostly just the tone, not the words. Felix, Juliana, either you get this fine group of ladies to come with us, at least to camp. And Felix looks at Juliana like, are you going to say anything or do I have to say something? Juliana will make a face, look at Marathon, Emma, and Cassidy, and then say... We gotta pay them, but we got them. Perfect. Wouldn't have it any other way. You know, money <clears throat> does make the world go round most of the time, seems like. Well, you all want to load up in your uh, rig over there. We'll lead the way, I believe. Mr. Fitzgerald should be camped somewhere to the west. We'll find some sort of signal, find out where he's gotten off to. We'll make camp and maybe do a little bit of contract negotiations. How'd that sound to you folks? And she smiles a winning smile. Sounds fantastic. Cassidy shrugs. Well, on behalf of the entire Rust company and our our newest fallen companion, I, I would like to sincerely thank you for saving our lives today. And I look forward to a hearty dinner and a long friendship to come. Uh, hey, Jorb, your co-pilot. <laughs> Hell yeah. Climb your way on in here. You know how to work the pedals. Let's go. Wouldn't have it any other way. Because you, you just said that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know you don't normally pilot, so as a reminder, there's a rule. No talking in the tank, Jorb, as Kelsey pulls him down into the hatch and shuts the hatch behind them. And the tank fires up. Several members of the Rust hop up onto the tank. Birdie Tenno looks regretful and squeezes your arm before hustling back in the direction that you all came. Talk to you later, Birdie's friends. Felix grabs the other motorcycle because Jorb appears to have been promoted to tank pilot. 
and these two motorcycles with sidecars and the tank lead the way out of the ravine and the Patna climbs back into the rig and follows them to somewhere with a defensible camp for the night, wondering what is to come from this chance meeting. Welcome back to MTR1153. That was just the end of today's broadcast, and we'll be right back to the music after this little break. The particulars of the subsequent can be found in the show notes. This has been A Night of Shreds and Patches, an actual play podcast using the Genesis game system from Fantasy Flight Games. The show is edited by Sydney Whittington and features the talents of Kit Adamus as Birdie. Kit can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Venus Vultures. Kit is also a voice actor for Elevator Pitch Podcast, a queer genre-hopping anthology podcast that can be accessed on Spotify and YouTube. Penn Van Batavia as Marathon. She can be found on Twitter at Acquired Chaste. Penn is an indie TTRPG designer whose most recent work includes Our Us, an intimate art relationship tool for two, and Unjustice, a dark drinking game set in a violent alternate West. Check out fair other work at penharper.itch.io. Sydney Whittington as Cassidy. Sydney can be found on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore wit. She's also a contributing editor for the Orpheus Protocol, a cosmic horror espionage actual play podcast. Cameron Robertson as Emma. Cameron can be found on Twitter at MidnightMusic13 and on Instagram at Reading underscore and underscore Dreaming. Cameron is also a player on Tabletop Squadron, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire actual play podcast. And Nick Robertson as Narrator. Nick can be found on Twitter at Alias58. Nick is also the GM for Tabletop Squadron. Nick can also be found as a player on the Orpheus Protocol. This podcast features the musical talents of Dora Violet and Arnie Parrott. You can find Dora at facebook.com slash Dora Violet. You can find Arnie at atptunes.com. The official artwork for this podcast was created by Rashid Alroka, which can be found on Instagram and ArtStation at RashidJRS. You can follow the Patna on Twitter at Akasap underscore podcast or visit the website www.akasap.com. To further support the show, consider joining the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Akasap, where we'll be bringing you weekly content, including bonus episodes, campfire conversations, and other fun rewards. Until next time, signing off.